Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. It's 2024, everybody. Hey. Woohoo. Hooray. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. We have we have all have like 2023 hangovers, I think. Because... I just feel I feel old. Gonna have to remember to write 2024 on those three checks that I write in a year now. <laughs> that used to be the biggest concern, but it's like, you know, how often do don't I write put them in any like mailbox because they'll get stolen and then they'll get washed and then you'll get rolled. Checks are 20th century yeah they really are i don't, I don't even know if my daughter would know how to write one i don't have a checkbook anymore i don't think i still write like one a month because i like keeping a manual ledger of my checks you know i actually to- we actually do do that yeah our problem is like adam will go and write a bunch of checks and i don't know about it and then i'm looking at our online bank account i'm like why do we only have like 23 cents in- and <laughs> yeah and it gets all out of order. So, well, welcome back, y'all. Hey, y'all. Y'all. Everybody good? Everybody good. get what they wanted for Christmas? Uh, I had the flu for Christmas. That wasn't a great uh-huh. Did you really? Bummer. I the did. gift that keeps on giving. Ugh. No fun. No fun. I had a stomach bug on New Year's Day. It's like, I'm duking and you, you name it, man. Oof. Wow. That's been going around. I squeezed all the juice out of the holiday season. Yeah, yeah, it was good. So, it was so good. did Steve. So did Steve. Apparently, so did I. Yeah. <laughs> Yum. I'm glad I didn't run into you in the last three weeks. Oh God. All right, let's do our introductions. So, top of the podcast, that was Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. Also, here's Joe Shaw. Hi, Joe. Hi, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. And I'm Annette Hinkle. I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also here with us this week is Steve Coates. Hey, what's your title, Steve? Do we have a title for you? I'm a reporter. He's a senior reporter. Which is another way of saying I'm old. (laughs) I was say, is that based on his experience or his age? I think all of our reporters are senior reporters at this point. Based on the... If everybody's a senior reporter, is anybody a senior reporter? That's right. Hi, Steve. How are you? On account, I'm fine, but on, we're all senior reporters on account that no one can afford to live here anymore, which is how our conversations always circle back to affordable housing. That's absolutely true. Yeah. We're pre-existing, non-conforming, as they say. No good. No good. So we're back again, and um, we thought for this first podcast of the year, we would talk about the first part of a package that ran in the January 4th issue of the papers. And this is about Southampton College, which is now, of course, Stony Brook, Southampton. We're doing a three-part series about the history of the college, which has always sort of struggled along. You know, it's a beautiful setting. They've got some amazing programs, but for some reason, it just seems even from its inception, it's always been a bit of a um, problematic campus for whoever is overseeing it. And that's something that I learned myself in reading 
the stories this week, um, including the one that was written by Steve. But the college was founded in 1963 as part of Long Island University. And I thought it could be interesting to talk about the idea of the the inception of it, which was that it would almost be an institution of higher learning for kids on the East End who were looking to maybe stay at home for their college experience. And um, that was kind of news to me, right? Did you guys know that? That was certainly part of it, yeah. Um, yeah. There were, I guess, a, a lot of people who, you know, who were traveling up to, you know, CW Post or up to, you know, like Stony Brook actually wasn't even open at that point, was it? I don't Probably know. Not. That's a good question. I don't think so. I forget when Stony Brook opened, right around that time, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. And um, It was just, I, I think it was just, it was just going to be a local, uh, just a local school, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think they pictured it as a four-year institution sort of online with uh, uh, CW Post and some of the other uh, Long Island University schools. They saw it as uh, a possibility of sort of being a standalone four-year institution that would be sort of a general college campus. Right. But I thought what was interesting looking at the history of it was almost, well, no, not almost, from the opening of the campus there in Southampton under Long Island University, it was a it was an ongoing money loss every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just went deeper and deeper and deeper into debt every year. Uh, and it, you know, to the point where it became what I what I found really interesting was um, a guy like David Steinberg, who was president of Long Island University, and he talked up the Southampton campus for many years and he said it was a jewel in the Long Island University crown and then whenever the campus closed he was supposedly called it an albatross around you know, we've, we've, we've finally right. gotten rid of the albatross around our neck so it, it went from being this thing that Long Island University was really proud of yeah. and tried very hard to sort of stoke to get going yeah. um until but but it just never it never I don't think it ever, it never made money. It always lost money for the university, but it also never really had much of an identity. And I think that was a big part of the problem. You know, one thing that we didn't really get into just because of the the length constraints and all was that Long Island University itself has a very troubled financial history. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was founded uh, in the late twenties. They uh, had a, I, I believe was it. I believe it was five million dollars pledged for an endowment, and then um, the stock market crashed. So literally, right from the time it opened, it was dependent on tuition fees to get by, and it almost closed in the depression. Uh, it almost closed in World War II, and they were advised to not continue expanding um, in the in the fifties and sixties. Uh, because they were still, you know, running on a very lean budget, and but yet they they saw they saw Southampton as I, I think much like any other um, you know uh, nonprofit as a source of money. Yeah, they think that's the other thing I thought that was interesting in, in the story, Steve, is that they thought that um, you know all of the the deep pocketed individuals um, in the Hamptons were going to step up and support this institution. And um, with the exception of a couple people, that never really happened. You know, they never really, you know, I just remember when I first moved out 
to the East End in the mid 90s, I actually took some classes at the college and it always struck me as being very not connected to the rest of the community. Even then, it just seemed isolated. It seemed like there wasn't much of a interest in fostering relations between the villages and the college. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I, I think you're absolutely right. There were a few people in the Southampton village community that sort of helped raise money to buy the campus in the first place and, and establish the college there. But I think Long Island University really thought that was going to be a cash cow. And they thought it was going to be able to tap into the local community for a lot of support that never really materialized. And the only, I, you know, I think we could go back and look over the years. Um, we're talking mostly about the, the Long Island University years up to 2005. But in that time period, you look at Robert FX Sillerman and his wife, Laura, who they made more donations in a couple of years then I think the entire South Southampton community made cumulatively from 1963 to, to 2005. I, the Sillermans probably by by making private donations and Sillerman was also behind starting All for the Sea. Mm -hmm. um, they kept that college open for a little bit longer with mm -hmm. Long Island University than it probably would have happened otherwise because the community in general never really stepped up to support the college that way. Yeah, I like the in the timeline, the, the fall of 1961 entry that we have in the timeline about how the opponents um, were worried that the college would bring in undesirables into the community. And they wondered <laughs> what kind of people these professors and students would be. They did not want an invasion of young people. Some things never change. Those yeah. frightening young people. Communists. This is a three-part series, and we started off, we've basically been looking backwards and looking at all of the time leading up to this, and, and so much of that was about the Long Island University years, and by the way, we have to tip our hat to John Strong, who wrote a book called Running on Empty that was about those 1963 to 2005 at Southampton College, and it's really comprehensive and gave us a lot to work with in, in making the timeline and in Steve's reporting, it, it helped to put all of that in, into context. That was a, it was a real roller coaster ride um, while it was under Long Island University. And when it finally did uh, go off the tracks in 2005, uh, a lot of people saw it coming because um, it had just, it had been years and years and years that it was always a struggle. And I, I mean, Tim Bishop had a quote at one point where he said, in many ways, we were an orphan child, third in line behind Post and Brooklyn, the, the other two Long Island University campuses that, that Southampton College never really gained a foothold with, with Long Island University either. Right. So it was always sort of in between for the local community and for Long Island University. It also seemed like there were two different faces, like the public facing face was, we're doing great. We have great, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like when it, when it fell, it's like, yeah, everybody kind of knew that there were issues, but they weren't really advertising it. There was like the public persona and then there was the behind the scenes one. 
Um, but I remember, I remember when that happened, like a lot of the students were blindsided, you know, I felt really bad for the students who had just started and not, not knowing that, that after one year that their program was going to be disbanded or they would have to move to another campus, you know, was in Strong's book, he, he makes mention of a kid who graduated from high school. And one of his graduation gifts was a Southampton college t-shirt. Cause that's where he's planning to go. Mm. You know, the announcement was made right around, you know, right around graduation um of, of 2004 um you know just a couple points i want to make is that when i first came out here my and, and i moved here in 89 and i don't remember when the first time i was on the campus a year or two afterward i was i remember even back then thinking i i felt like i was wandering around uh, one of the u.s military bases that was slated for closure it was that sort of colonial brick architecture and kind of run down. They'd moved all the weapons off base, you know, and it was just kind of a, kind of a, you know, a semi-ghost town. Um, you know, that's the first thing. And the second thing that I would, I, I don't want us to, 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 to miss, in speaking with, with Tim Bishop. Tim Bishop, who would later be the, um, our, our U.S. congressman, but um, for a long time was provost of, of Southampton College. Right. For, he worked at the college for a, a solid 30 years, I'm going to guess. But he, one of the things that in our uh, conversation, he said it would really be a pity if your article is just about uh, a financially struggling college that eventually died. Um, and, and he talked about how much the number of Fulbright scholars, the, the marine science program, which, mm -hmm. which ran with used equipment and whatever, was nationally known. Was was one of the first marine science programs in, on on the East Coast, anyway? I think. Yeah, right. The uh, master, the fine arts program, the writing program. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and he talked about how you know there were just you know a lot of really original thinking uh, faculty members, students who were willing to try new things, and and there is that side of it. You know, that's 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 sort of part of the, you know, of the tragedy. Yeah. Well, and I think that that people had a lot of pride in it, and, and alum had a lot of pride in it. And you talked to to you know State Assemblyman Fred Thiel, who um, you know who 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 went there, and former Southampton Town Supervisor Skip Heaney, I know, went there and 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 talked um, you know um, about his great experiences there. And I I remember Annette mentioned when you know when they were closing, and and the students that you know there was an uprising of students in protests. Of of you know students who who loved the college and and took pride in in, in going to Southampton College and um you know and and were you know like blindsided by by the closure but but upset that they were losing the losing their school I mean they were given options to you know to go to other campuses but but they were um you know they were connected to the Southampton campus to Steve's point the the marine science program to this day is it made the transition to Stony Brook and remains one of the one of the great programs you know in this region as far as uh, educationally the arts program and the theater program the writing and the theater programs are now under the Dorothy Lichtenstein Center at the the, the University of the Stony Brook uh, Southampton uh, they're doing well and Stony Brook has really committed to to focusing on Marine science, those arts programs, and I think the the other 
part of this, and we'll be talking about this as we go forward in the series, is that they're looking at medical stuff, uh, some of the medical careers that would also be, be based there. But you're absolutely right, Steve. We shouldn't talk about the college was always struggling, but there were a lot of successes and they had a lot of very successful graduates come out of the program and a lot of people with, with a lot of real affection for, for the school. So we, we don't want to miss that. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. One of the things that I recall, because when I did come out here, I did take some like marine science classes there in the mid 90s. And one of the things I remember sort of being discussed at the time was the fact that they only had an undergraduate marine science program and that another way that they could have grown it was if they had a graduate program and beyond. I think that was the other thing. It was sort of, um, you know, having just the undergraduate program kind of limited it, like because you were you basically had this coastal laboratory in the form of the the bays surrounding it and all the waterways, it could have been a really good opportunity to really put into place a, a higher degree program. Because I remember one of the the professors I I took a class from, you know, showed us all of this great um, research that had been done by students in previous semesters, but it was just sort of like an exercise in how to do, you know, how to record numbers. Like nothing was being done with this great research they were done being what they were doing whether it was on you know horseshoe crabs or you know there was this great basis of of research that wasn't feeding in to a, a larger program which is i think part of the issue um with growing the, the campus out i think that may be addressed moving forward though um the governor has identified stony brook as being a big part of a climate study moving forward right. along along with a campus in uh, Governor's Island, I believe. There's another campus in there. But um, I've, I've sat down with uh, Dr. Mari McInnes, who is the president of Stony Brook, and we'll have that interview as part of the series. But she mentioned that the, all the work that's being done on climate change and the impacts on the marine environment at Stony Brook in Southampton right. helped them get help them become part of this state program and it's going to be now be fed back with some money and they'll be using a lot of that research um as part of that now you know having access to the bays is a big part of why that campus works so well for the marine mm -hmm. science program yeah it's just funny that, that that's of all of the the visions that was not one of them was to yeah to really you know contribute to the world of science um in a bigger way, which I think that they, they definitely, you know, they definitely had the, the teaching talent to, to do that. Mm -hmm. Over the years. That was always something that was kind of interesting. You know, why is it that maybe 
the college didn't get the support from the 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 deep pocketed individuals like they had thought is that is that a is that a reoccurring theme out here like you know is it hard to get some of the the wealthier individuals to take part in some of the community you know be at the museums or the you know the the learning institutions or is there a separation do you think of the big money and the the local um organizations I, I think a lot of those people aren't year-round residents or weren't or weren't at the time and 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 their allegiances were were perhaps with their own um alma maters and mm -hmm. you know and, and and colleges that you know for either either further up island in the city or you know other other points you know in in the country right Right. You know, the college also, all of its iterations never had a very big presence as far as the number of students. It was always under, what, 1,500. I don't think it ever made it yeah. any higher than that. And it's been less than that in recent years. And I, I just don't know that it has the kind of footprint that really impacts people's consciousness. And like I said, even getting, you know, if like, like the students, if they didn't have cars and they were residential students, there was not even a really easy way for them to get from the campus into downtown Southampton. So that's what I mean. There was like always a very strange disconnect between like, I don't know if you didn't have a car and you were a residential student at Southampton, I'm not sure what you would have done. You know, there was a couple bars, I guess you could walk to. What was the one, what was the one bar up on, uh, on County Road 39. That... Blue Collar Bar. The Treasure Inn. That's where we used to go after our classes, the kind of pirate-themed place. And then there was the one that was on the old highway. The Tidewater Pub or something. Yeah, the Tidewater, something like that. But still, boy. So I, I think you know, going back to whether or not local people or you know, well-heeled people would support the college, uh, college, yet it's interesting that they did support Southampton Hospital. And that was sort of the that was sort of Southampton Village's charity of of choice, right. you know. It's also something that they would be more they would be more likely to to find a need for personally to utilize. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, that's exactly it. I think you know it's it's such a beautiful property. And how much is it? How much is it? It's eighty now, 80, right? Roughly eighty-two. 80. Yeah, plus whatever's across the street. Eighty-two acres. 82 is always the figure I've heard. One of the great things about this, too, was the chance to look back. I didn't know sort of the long history of of that piece of property. I did. I was aware of, you know, the, the first thing is the real controversial thing is it was part of Shinnecock territory for obviously time immemorial. But it was one of those pieces of properties that was deeded over to white settlers in a very shifty way in the mid 1800s it was as recently as mid 1800s well it was actually actually it was deeded over much earlier um in the classic you know the european settlers come and they you know tell someone who doesn't understand the concept of private ownership you know we'll give you this bag of 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 corn for your you know for this tract of land but they, it ended up that they had, the, the tribe had lost so much land um, that the Europeans, you know, the, the white settlers uh, were kind enough to lease it back to them. Right. It was that lease. So they were now renting their own land, you know, and, and it was that lease that, that they got them to, uh, agree to break you know they, they yeah they they basically convinced a few 
nation members to say, we would like to trade our thousand year lease, by the way, because it was struck in the 1700s as a thousand year lease. We would like to trade that and instead just get the property on Shinnecock Neck. I don't think that was a tribal decision. I think that was a decision made for the tribe and pushed through the courts in a way that still to this day is pretty upsetting. And, and by the way, um, something that if you look into the history of it, the racism of it is really uh, some of the decisions in the 1800s was they were they were pretty openly racist about that. And the, the Montauckets are fighting a similar um, situation with that. But anyway, the, that happened. But but even you know after that, you had the Hoyts who moved from Southampton to Shinnecock Hills and they, they built a cottage up there on the very top of the hill um, that you could see both the bay and the, the ocean from their house. And William Merritt Chase actually came to stay with them in, what was it, 1890, I think. And Janet Hoyt, one of the owners, encouraged him, hey, you should start an art school to take advantage of yeah. the beautiful summer landscape here. And that was uh, you know, Chase's, Chase's art school. And, but, you know, after that, um, that building burned down at some point. And then uh, a textile multimillionaire from New Jersey built the summer cottage on top of the hill. It was designed by Grosvenor Asper. Uh, I've never met Grosvenor. How do you pronounce his Sounds good to me. Grosvenor? <laughs> Grosvenor? I've been seeing that name ever since I moved here 25 years ago. Grosvenor. And it's at, at Atterbury. Grosvenor Atterbury. It was designed by him and, uh -huh. and it was on 60 acres up on top of the hill. And then it went into, it just went, I, I guess they lost it in the depression. Yeah. He went broke in the depression. Yeah. And it just sat empty. And then eventually it, uh, it was converted into uh, an, actually a, a restaurant and a resort of sorts. Um, that it was called the Tucker Mill Inn. And it operated as a resort hotel and restaurant. They charged $2,000 for seasonal rental. Um, so they were a little ahead of the curve there. Wasn't cheap, yeah. That's not, that's real money back in the, what would that have been, the after World War II? So you're talking about, yeah. you know, the 50s. But that was, it was that for a very long time um, until it became the college campus in, in 1963. And it, it seems to me that the uh, the, the uh, owners, the, the Schwartz family, Thomas Tucker Schwartz and his wife Florence, uh, Mr. Schwartz died in the uh, early 60s. And so the widow had to sell the property and that's how it became available for the public. So, I, you know, all that history I wasn't really aware of. And, and um, imagine that property with just the, the one building, which is still now used. You know, I think it may be one of the buildings that's been condemned now it's been condemned for a long time actually yeah. that yeah that's sad that's really that's the one that had originally the i believe it had a fungus <laughs> some fungus among us a very dangerous fungus but it's a it's a it's a gorgeous old building historic old building uh, that was really the centerpiece of the campus for the for the longest yeah. time. But I think that's also interesting. Like as you had some buildings falling into disrepair, like that one in the dorms, which oddly it seemed like they had not had renovated not too much longer before they were condemned. But then you had some big some big money coming in, I guess maybe from Silverman to build 
like the chancellor's hall and the brand new library which is gorgeous but it also seemed like as it's almost like there were two like as that was going up it's like behind the scenes it was all kind of shutting down i think that's the thing that kind of stuck in my head it's like did silverman or or not know like what was happening or just i I don't know i just thought that was interesting that they're putting tons of money into these gorgeous new buildings while other things are um, spiraling the other direction This is Catherine Manu, and I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses. But we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe, please visit 27east.com slash subscribe. And thank you for your support. Think about it, too. They did put money into the marine science program because they built that new facility for them. So I think they focused right. on on some of the, the things that. Do I have the timing wrong, Steve? I'm thinking didn't didn't Stony Brook build the new wasn't that state money for the new the, mm-hmm. new, the new. Oh, OK. So Scott, but they okay. did. But they did build a station. You know, they, they did. In, but earlier they did. Yeah, in, yeah they had one. The and then state. Stony Brook mm-hmm. came in and invested money in and made that it nice. because they saw the. the the importance of but i wonder when it was still long island university were they kind of doing that to make the property more valuable to a seller do you think like i just wonder i don't know what do we think about that i i i I think that's one of the one of the big mysteries is like why was you know the abram theater being built why was chancellor hall and the library all these things were being done when behind the scenes yeah it was very much a facade and I I do not know. I never I haven't gotten an answer to that as to why, you know, why you know, I mean maybe they were just um maybe it was just collective denial. I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe these were just projects that Sillerman particularly wanted to see, you know. I, I think so so you had the connection between Sillerman and and Tim Bishop. I mean, I th- I think they were they were connected somehow. So you had, right. you know, you had Tim Bishop, who's who's running the college, and and I think maybe, I, I don't know, I'm speculating, but 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 again, you had you had the local control of the school, but that wasn't necessarily connected to Long Island University. Just just as as today, you you know, you you've got you know, you've got the, the local schools, but maybe there's a disconnect with with Stony Brook in, in, in general, when you've got these parent universities, I, I think that, you know, you've got a local push for, you know, to keep going. Um, but maybe that same push isn't recognized on a, on a more regional level. I don't know. It's speculation. I'm thinking if I'm the president of a university and I have a, a, a losing campus, a money losing campus. And some guy says, well, here, I'll give you 5 million bucks for a library. I might say, why don't you give me $5 million for an endowment? And I can pay down my debt, you know, but. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that uh, Dr. McGinnis, the president of Stony Brook makes kind of that point in the interview that we did that will be coming up that we'll be publishing in the future, which is they've been sort of wary about spending a lot of money on infrastructure at the college right now because they'd rather spend the money on programs and and doing things to bolster what's working 
rather than than and and the problem with that is then you let the buildings go and they fall completely apart. And I think that's but she said they inherited a lot of that when they bought the campus. Um, yeah, but how do you expect to attract students to, you know, to a dilapidated campus? No, it's I mean, true. You, it's you know. true. And I mean, that's coming up. I mean, we have to we should point out that we did the look back. This the whole point of this series is it's past, present and future. And we did the whole look back to sort of set up this conversation that we're going to move into in the next two weeks, which is the uh, present, which would be the issue of the 11th, and then the future, which is the issue of the 18th. Bear in mind that the present is really going to begin about 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, well, I mean, and um, I and it's fair. It's, because it's going to be, it's the, it's the recent past and a very little on the present. It's the recent past and present, yeah. And it, there's going to be very little on the present, and I, and I would like to, you know, point out, there's going to be very little on the present because uh, Stony Brook University has not been forthcoming in talking to us. Um, so I'll be honest with you, Steve. I think Stony Brook doesn't really know. I think they're still trying to figure out a lot of this. And they just brought in someone new to sort of take charge and, and try and figure out a, uh, a solution about coming up with a strategy moving forward. But I think they're still doing that. I don't think they've actually done that yet. And we have an express session coming up on the 11th where we're going to have a lot of folks from the college where we can ask these questions to and has the potential to be a fairly spicy conversation, I think, because there are some local officials who are, and, and I would put both Assemblyman Fred Thiel and State Senator uh, Anthony Palumbo into the, the box of, they are not thrilled with the lack of vision for that campus. And, and so they'll all be on the, on the panel together and it'll be an opportunity to sort of have that conversation. And we also have to remind everyone that there was a pandemic and there was an executive vice president, um, Matt Whalen, who left Stony Brook in 2020. And he was sort of the, he was carrying the ball, I think, you know, he was sure he was overseeing everything, but, but still, um, it's it's kind of like a, you know it it it's very much a garden of you know that there's some scraggly you know scraggly fruit trees at your MFA program and then there's some scraggly you know bushes or whatever and that's your health sciences and a few other odds and ends you know throw in a little food lab and um, yeah the food lab is a new thing we've introduced there marine science and the promise of of um perhaps someday a hospital on on the campus and and i think that um you know certainly we're going to be exploring that in 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 the series and and you have to wonder um you, you know how much of of the the present has been on hold waiting to find out whether the hospital is going to happen or or not or or when and whether that changes the direction of of the campus and whether it turns into um you know kind of a, a you know healthcare centered um school and and i think that you know um you know steve brings up the pandemic prior to the pandemic i think everybody was um you know uh, cheerleading that that yeah this you know this is the plan this is going to happen but i i think that um you know, in in the last few years, it's it's become a question and a question mark is, is whether or not there's, um, you know, the campus is going to be transformed into a hospital and a medical school. The story of Southampton College and Stony Brook, Southampton, uh, reminds me of trying to push a car out of a snowdrift 
you remember we used to get snow in the winter. <laughs> but anyway, when everyone is pushing and the car is sort of getting some traction. And just when you think it's going to get over the hump, it rolls back down into you. And then along comes, you know, Stony Brook with a, you know, they've got a, a, a rope and they tie it to the bumper and the rope breaks or the bumper falls off. And it's just, you know, you just never get out of the ditch. Well, Steve, great minds, because in John Strong's book, Robert Pattison, who was an English literature professor at Southampton College, was talking about the previous administration. And he said, he's quoted in the book as saying, the administrative history of LIU Southampton reminds me of Laurel and Hardy moving that piano up the long flight of stairs to a house on the top of a high ridge, only to lose control and see it roll back down into the street. So the the analogy holds. Uh, I think that's exactly what it what it appears. Wow. It has appeared to be over the years, and I think Stony Brook yeah. is hoping to finally get that car out of the snowdrift. And I think they have sort of whittled down to some of the things that work and have worked over the years, and and hope to build on those going forward. But that'll be where we go in the next two parts of this series. We're we're looking forward to it. So the next part of the series will be about Stony Brook's tenure. It'll be the beginning of Stony Brook's tenure and the sort of present and what's going on there now. And which, you know, uh, you know, spoiler alert, a lot of condemned buildings and a lot of facilities sort of falling apart over there. I mean, that's the thing. It is like you, it, it really is like a backside because how do you attract, you know, a strong student body um, when things like that are happening and then, you know, it's just, it's sort of, and, and, and donors too, and I donors mean, too. Who, who's going to donate to that campus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then yeah. we have our express sessions event in Southampton on January 11th. And then on January 18th will be part three of our series, which is the future. And we'll base a lot of that on the conversation we have on the 11th, I think, but um, should be interesting. So this, um, this episode will, go live on the 11th the day of that session and that the where's that express session is that going to be in southampton it's in southampton village at uh, i believe it's union steak and sushi mm-hmm. okay well, there you go so stay tuned for the future of the college got a lot to talk about stay tuned 27 speaks is sponsored by the law firm of toomey latham shea kelly dubin and corderaro Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts. 